Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. For Liverpool to draw is a rare occurrence this season. For them to draw against Shrewsbury Town of League One is almost unthinkable. But it happened. Of course, it's the FA Cup weekend. The Shrews come back from two down to earn a replay at Anfield. Ten goals between the Manchester clubs this weekend. City sweeping aside Fulham by four goals to nil to continue their FA Cup defence. And Manchester United, a 6-0 win at Tranmere Rovers. Speaking of rare occurrences, goals from Jesse Lingard... And Phil Jones, his first goal for six years nearly, collector's items to say the least. Chelsea, Leicester and Sheffield United all through, as are Norwich, but replays for Southampton and Tottenham and more misery for West Ham United. We'll talk about it all on this FA Cup weekend here on Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. So make sure you hit subscribe and you'll never miss another show again. My name's Niall. Alongside me in the studio, we have Jay Motti. Hello, Jay. Hi, mate. You okay? Um, You're in higher spirits this week after a, a drubbing of Tranmere Rovers. Yes, yes, it's uh, like you mentioned there. Not only is it a very rare occasion that Manchester United scores six goals, but it's even rarer that Phil Jones gets uh, <laughs> gets on the, so. on the score sheet. So it's uh, it's all been happening. Look forward to talking about United's win at Tranmere. We've also got Jonathan Smith from Goal. Hello, mate. How are, are you? you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. You were at the game at the Etihad. Yeah. Kind of killed by that early red card for Fulham, wasn't it? It wasn't looking like much of a tie to begin with, and then when someone gets sent off within five minutes, you, you haven't got high hopes, so... It went the way we expected, I think. And we've got also Johnny Sharples, who is a Newcastle United fan, but unfortunately no black and white army to talk about this week. <laughs> no, League One League One opposition is very difficult. So. <laughs> As you well know. So let's get straight into it. Let's talk about, well, the big result. It's just happened as we're recording this podcast. Liverpool versus Shrewsbury. Liverpool two goals up just after half-time. An own goal from former Manchester United man Donald Love, actually, uh, into his own net. A bit of a stinking own goal, to be perfectly honest. And everyone thought, right, that's it. Liverpool through to the fifth round. And then all of a sudden, Shrewsbury come roaring back. They make a substitution. And all of a sudden, the game completely changes. You've got to say, although there was a bit of a cringy pitch invasion at the end, full credit to them for dragging themselves back into the game, Jay. I mean, a League One side up against a team which is expected to pretty much win everything from this stage on, it is a great achievement for them. Yeah, well, it wasn't that long ago that I was on this podcast and we were talking about how Liverpool's basically reserve team 
had beaten Everton and a strong Everton team mm. in obviously a game that Everton wanted to win in the cup. Um, so to go 2-0 down um, and then to get a result, to get a draw against a team that still contains top-level players, you know, the likes of Fabinho, um, I thought Origi, obviously, you know, yeah. Champions League winning uh, goal scorer, and he brought on some of the big guns as well. So to get that result when you're 2-0 down, you can't, can't dis- dismiss that. Um, they've got it all to do at Anfield, but... This is, I'm, I was trying desperately, right? The reason I'm stuttering a little bit, I'm trying to avoid a cliche. <laughs> and I'm just really struggling not to say something like, oh, I'm going to have to go for it. Have you got your cliche, Bell? I think it's gone missing, you is know. Right? I can't find well, it. I think you've been saved if, literally if you by the it, bell. I'm going to have to say, uh, you know, it is the magic of the cup. There we go. I'll, it add, is I'll add one in. I'll add a yeah. bell ringing after it, the show. It's these sorts of results. And obviously, for, for a club like Shrewsbury, I don't know about the, the, the finances of Shrewsbury, so I'm not going to lie to you, but to get a, res, uh, a replay at Anfield, I imagine that's mm. good for them benefits them great day out for the fans you, we saw the fans do a pitch invasion not sure if I'd be getting selfies with uh, Lovren yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest but again I'm not a Shrewsbury fan so I can't be uh, too harsh on my judgments so you know obviously it's a great day for them and it's, it's probably more of an annoyance for Klopp and Liverpool if we're being honest and it? it's another fixture they didn't really want to play I don't see Shrewsbury getting a result for Anfield but if they do I'll be cheering Shrewsbury Town like a true shrimper. Like one of the true, I don't yeah, what, what, a, a true shrimper. <laughs> Shrews, I think. It's clues in the name, Jay. Come on. Um, Jonathan, you have to say, does Jurgen Klopp care about this competition, the FA Cup? Is his focus solely on the league or is that, as Jay mentions, very mumbly under his breath, the treble? Is that something going to be on his mind, do you think? It's getting to the stage now where we're almost forgetting about the league. It's done, isn't it? So, yeah, why not? Why I'm, not go for I'm it? Bored, you know? <laughs> I'm bored, you know. I'm bored of the league. The, the issue now is maybe this he could do without this replay because it's coming in that midwinter break and I think we're going to have to listen to a bit more of Klopp moaning about replays and how he doesn't like them and this kind of thing because... It's going to go, it's, it's an annoyance that it could do without. Mm. It'll play the kids again. I can't see the shoes be doing anything there. They'll have their great day out to add to the cliche counter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they, they'll march on and um, yeah, that treble is a possibility. It's a real possibility. They've got you know obviously got tough Atletico is not going to be easy. No, but the league's done. Fifth round of the cup. Yeah, it's on. Yeah, certainly, certainly, Jurgen Klopp might be thinking about it. Um, but obviously, with the team that he put out against Everton in the last round, Johnny, and then. In this game against Shrewsbury, he's obviously got a sort of a, a penchant for those youngsters in this cup competition. The likes of Kirivella, uh, Lamushi at the back as well, who, who made a bit of a mistake for one of the Shrewsbury goals. Um, it, you know, he's, he's going to give the kids a run out in the FA Cup. It seems quite clear. Yeah, I think in the winnable, especially with the fixture congestion and, and things like that, he wants the, you know, the um, people to have a rest and to give the kids a, a chance. And it's a good competition, obviously, against Everton. It was a good chance for them to play top level opposition good chance for them to sort of play in that atmosphere that you wouldn't mm. get otherwise and then against Shrewsbury it's a good chance for them to one play them again to get a taste of the sort of league one pitches it wasn't quite as bad as the one that Manchester United and mm. uh, Tramia played on but it's still a tricky tricky thing to do and it just you know bloods them into the first team slowly and they've got the, the team that they put out should obviously be Everton the main bulk of that squad played against Everton um, and they beat them. Um, so you would have fancied them to do the same against Shrewsbury, but I think Shrewsbury were, for one reason or another, a lot more up for it than Everton were, um, yeah. especially mm. when they went 2-0 down. I think they um, they really pushed on, and um, it was a shame for, for Donald Love to, to concede that own goal, but I think without that, they wouldn't have had that impetus to then attack Liverpool in quite the same way that they did. Um, and I think Liverpool 
would have probably, without their own goal, might have had a little bit of an easier mm. run of the game. So um, it's funny how these things happen at the end of the day. And um, yeah, I think, um, like we say, Liverpool probably put the same team out again yeah. at Anfield and, and I think they'll win that quite easily. But, you know, for Newcastle's sake and for, you know, for a different <laughs> name on the trophy and a, a different thing, you'd hope that Shrewsbury could possibly do it. But, you know, you, you've got to be realistic sometimes. It's a great name, isn't it? Donald Love. What a name. I mean, it's one of the better ones out there. Um, he's from Rochdale. And a mate of mine tweeted, we found love in a hopeless place. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I'd ring a bell for a different reason. Certainly not a cliche in that case. Um, Fabinho was back. You mentioned Jay Fabinho. Uh, he's been out. He was a little bit rusty to start with in the game for Liverpool. Um, they have had a couple of injuries, but certainly the question about their strength in depth from a couple of seasons ago doesn't seem to be there anymore. If they can cope without Fabinho, who's been a good performer for them for the first sort of half of the season for a little bit of time out on the sidelines, then you know that's good signs for them. Yeah, well, they've got different options, haven't they, in all all the departments. And the one area, if you were going to be overly harsh with Liverpool, you might have questioned them was midfield because I think in defence they're pretty much solid in all departments there up front you know they've got all these different attacking options and then we, you know just mentioned Origi who doesn't even start in, in, in games and he'd probably walk into most other teams you could argue that midfield I'm not saying it's weak by any stretch of the imagination boys is it as strong as other areas probably not but now you look at it and you think well they've had Fabinho out they've not really missed him Oxley Chamberlain comes in and does a job yeah Ronaldo does a job Henderson's probably having his best ever season um we're missing Naby Keita of course so they've got all these options who would performing really well so yeah you know from the outside from a United fan looking in it, it, you know I'm looking on with a bit of green eyed envy because they've got strength in depth and uh, and because of that I think yes they could go for this sort of record of, of the most number of points in the Premier League or going undefeated in the Premier League or whatever mm. but I think the, the treble is up there for the taking I do I think you look at the European Cup the Champions League sorry and the, and the, the standard there they're, they're for me Liverpool are the best team in Europe so they've every chance of winning that, as as Jonathan just said. The league is done in it. Come on, let's be honest. They're not going to lose the next ten games, whatever they've got to do to to not win it. So why not go for for all of them? And I think they can afford to rest some players for this replay and then look at it after the Atletico game and in the next round and and still go for it on all, all fronts because yeah, it's 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 doable. And from a United perspective, then we mentioned about Klopp playing some of the younger players. Are you seeing sort of a difference now in the Liverpool Academy? We're seeing more players coming through there. Obviously, United have such a you know steeped history with the the youngsters coming through. What does that kind of look like from the outside, from from that perspective, seeing Liverpool's youngsters coming through and performing well? Because it's not something we've always seen from from Liverpool. Well, I think it helps when you've got a strong team because we had it at United for many years where you'd have players, you'd have a really strong team, a really strong eleven, a, a good squad, and you can bring in players the likes of. John O'Shea, the likes of Darren Fletcher, who may not always get a start, but can be in around the first team and come through and then you know do well and, and win trophies. And then you'd have one or two who perhaps you know the Danny Simpsons and players like that who, or you know the the Phil Bardsleys who would get games but wouldn't quite be good enough for Manchester United, but would go on to have a, a good career in the Premier League. Cleverly, mm, yeah, cleverly. Like, no, yeah, it's a good yeah. example. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's an element of that now at Liverpool where you'll see these youngsters come through. Some of them like Trent Alexander-Arnold is obviously the biggest success story. Will do a job for the first team by and large most of them won't because sure. obviously because numbers just don't add up but they can use that as a springboard to go and have a, a good career and I think it is easier to bring in youngsters when you're not 
when you, you've got a great team and you're not relying on them to come in and play 20, 30 games, when you can bring them in for cup games and breed them smaller. And they're playing alongside world-class mm. players as well. You know, if you're playing alongside world-class players week in, week out, you, your levels are going to be a lot a lot higher as well. So, mm. yeah, it's it's deflating again. I don't like <laughs> doom and gloom, but it's what we did at Old Trafford for many years. And I think it's shifted now slightly where we've become reliant on our youngsters rather than sort of handling them the way we should be doing. Um, but at Liverpool, they're reaping the, the benefits of their success. And I think Klopp's using it wisely. I think he's doing exactly the right thing, bringing mm. in these youngsters and giving them cup yeah. games. Financially, Johnny, this could be huge for Shrewsbury, couldn't it? And I think they're going to earn a million quid out of the game that they've just played with Liverpool, during, drawing 2-2 in the end. And they get a replay at Anfield. Liverpool brought their big guns on at the end. I think by the end, Salah, Oxlade Chamberlain, Fabinho, um, Firmino were all on the pitch. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good for them, particularly financially. Yeah, and you'd fancy it to be on the television again, I think. Um, a lot of the replays, I think, maybe Southampton, Tottenham might be on the, the TV picked for one. Newcastle against Oxford might be another one because it's going to be at Oxford and Newcastle might put a bit of an iffy team out there. Um, but you'd fancy that one for TV and the, the TV money will you know, be a nice bonus for them as well and hopefully they'll do what a lot of teams do and reinvest it hopefully wisely for Shrewsbury's mm. sake and, um, you know, the, the gate receipts fifty fifty still in it so yeah um yeah they'll do, they'll do really well off the back of it and obviously if they get through then they'll hope for a Manchester City or a Manchester United in the next round if yeah. they're lucky sure we've spoken on this podcast before about whether they should ditch replays whether you know we should just have it straight to extra time and penalties for for the single cup games rather than having replays we're the only country in Europe to have cup replays it's a very traditional British thing it doesn't really happen anywhere else in Europe. I mean, when you see stories like this, Jonathan, you see Shrewsbury coming from behind and you know that those fans are going to get to go to Anfield. Does that kind of scupper any thoughts about maybe ending the replays? Is that just something to benefit the top two tiers of English football and maybe we've been a little bit blind to those lower league teams? This is a terrible time to say it, but I, I would be I, I would be for scrapping replays, to be honest. But, <laughs> you look at those Shrewsbury fans after the game and you think, yeah, well, it's fantastic for them. They're going to... Mm. They, they didn't. They could have gone for it towards the end, but they've got everything now. They've got that. That got replay. They've got the money to come on the back of it. The fans will have a fantastic day. However, I, I can't help thinking that the the way the cup competitions have gone in this country, I feel like the Carabao Cup has has sort of overtaken the FA Cup, which I don't think it should it should be that way. But I, th- okay. I just find the Carabao Cup a little bit more exciting because you have the, you have these one off games and it, and it's all on on the night. There's a lot more to a lot more excitement about it. Mm. And it I mean, I suppose home ties can play for a draw a little bit more, try and take it to penalties. So, yeah, terrible timing, but yeah, I, I still would scrap replays. I'd say with, with, with the Shrewsbury match as an example, with the way that that match was going, especially towards the latter stages of that match, Shrewsbury might have even fancied that going to extra time straight away. They had the home crowd behind them. They had the they were the ones pushing on in that second half. Sure. They were pulling up with a bit of cramp and things like that, but they might have really fancied, you know, with the wind in their sails, pushing on for a winner, in the, in the extra time or on penalties or what have you. And then, you know, they, they might go on the replay and get battered like 6, 7, 8 nil. And it's is that really worth the money when they could have gone through to the next round and had that real push on? Yeah. Um, I think it's a toss-up, isn't it, between having a better chance of going through to the next round where you get more money from the prize fund or, you know, maximising the amount of games you can play against better teams to try and get more money in the coffers. It's a real difficult one. If you've got an opinion, let us know on Twitter, at the Sports Social. But Jason Cummings, the hero in the end for the Shrews. They drew 2-2 with Liverpool in the FA Cup on Sunday. They will go to a replay at Anfield. So well done to Shrewsbury. Next, we'll move on to Manchester City, who swept aside Championship Fulham by four goals to nil. 
a couple of goals for Gabriel Jesus, Gundogan as well, scoring from the penalty spot. Lots of talk about the attendance. Obviously, Jonathan, your Manchester City correspondent for goal. So you would have been there uh, earlier today. What, what was the game like? What was the atmosphere like, obviously, with a, with a reduced crowd? Yeah, it was subdued. Um, like we said, the, the sending off didn't help. That killed it. They were 1-0 up, playing 10 men after five minutes, uh, mm. after eight, nine minutes. So... It, there was never really a, a chance of Fulham coming back into it. The crowd was about 39,000, which is obviously way down on the capacity. Uh, I mean, speaking to City fans, one one issue is that, that you know they've been very successful in the cup competitions. Obviously, hold the FA Cup, Carabao Cup. Mm. Um, I mean, they've won that now for, for two years. They've got this semi-final second leg coming up on, mm. on Wednesday. It, it's, it's, not, it's not cheap if you're successful in, in cups. Agreed. Uh, and they've got this game against Real Madrid. Uh, in a month's time, and that's forty-five pound. I think is the is the minimum ticket, and it's just not it's just not cheap for fans. And I think clubs need to look at it. I just the worrying thing is, I think that they they've priced them quite well in the group stages, the Champions League games, absolutely. And I think they've looked at this Real Madrid and the game and just thought, what's the maximum price we can get away with? And mm. I think that's a, a dangerous thing to be to be doing because they, you can't take fans for granted, and they weren't there today. And if we saw a couple of years ago they played Paris Saint Germain and they 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 the fans were not happy with the pricing of that game. It, the first leg finished two two in Paris, and so there was enough that the fans the fans were going to boycott that game, but there was enough in that game that, that, that persuaded them to go to it. And the, and the yeah. clubs said they they would look at the uh, pricing strategy. And I think I think maybe they need to think again about about this Real Madrid one in particular. Yeah, like what, what you said there, I think earlier on in the Champions League games against Atalanta and, and, and Shakhtar, Donetsk have all been sort of 10, 15, 20 quid a ticket, which is obviously nowhere near the 45 quid price mark that we're seeing for the for the Real Madrid game. I've also spoken to a few City fans in the past that said the best atmosphere they've ever had at the Etihad for a European game was the Hamburg game, I think back in 2010 or 2009, something like that, where it was cheap tickets, cheap beer outside the ground, and the atmosphere was absolutely pumping, and that's the sort of vibe that they want to bring back into the stadium. But obviously, when you're paying for a cup game, it's against a team in Fulham who are not the most fashionable clubs they're not they're not a big it's not like a Leeds from the championship or a Nottingham Forest or something for example you know you're paying on top of your season ticket for extra for extra money for for the ticket so you know we're in January there's plenty of what people might call excuses but I mean you could argue they are legitimate reasons yeah the game was on TV there was no away fans there to you know there's no atmosphere coming from them there was there was every reason if you're going to miss a game this is the this is the game you're going to miss. I think even fans who were in the cup scheme who who got a ticket, have paid for a ticket, thought, you know, I'll just stay at home and give this one a miss. So mm. it's. I mean, I, I walked away from that game thinking that I, I'm really concerned about the about the FA Cup and, and where it's going. Luckily, uh, a couple of hours later, Shrewsbury get the, the that, that result <laughs> against Liverpool, and you think, yeah. It's still got something to offer. And he still wants to scrap replays. <laughs> <Yes>. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, Pep Guardiola said some interesting things, Jay, uh, after the game, saying, you know, there's only 39,000 in today. Hopefully they'll be more excited for the Manchester derby. Well, obviously, Pep, they're going to be more excited for the Manchester derby. Um, and it, like we say, it's January. Some people still haven't been paid. Christmas was <laughs> 20-odd days ago. You know, there's all these excuses. But, I mean, do we just have to say sometimes managers just need to go, so, what do you want me to do about it? That's sometimes easier for them to keep their mouths shut than to mention these things. I mean, I get it. Is if he's being asked or whatever, it's it's difficult. He's got to address it. But I mean, I'm not just saying it's United from what 
there's always seems to be these things we're sitting, these excuses and these reasons why the, the ground's not full. You know, it's it's on the telly, it's a Sunday, the traffic, the the, the Mancunian way has got low, you know, got a hole in it. Um, it's a, it's a church, it's on a church day, people go to church, but, you know, there's a bit of flu going around, whatever. And it, the fact that, you know, I, I remember having this argument with City fans when they played like Bayern Munich and he went, well, we've played Bayern Munich four times in the last three years. That's why we can't start against Bayern Munich. And I thought... You know, we played Sunderland four times that yeah. season. It's you know we're getting bigger crowds, and I think sometimes you just got to admit that they just haven't got the fan base to fill that stadium week we, in week out. They've increased the capacity. I was just chatting to Jonathan then. I think up to fifty five thousand now, which is a big increase. Mm. And there's no guarantee just because you win trophies that you're going to suddenly acquire fifteen thousand more fans to come to your stadium. Chelsea won lots of trophies in the, the mid noughties. They didn't get twenty thousand extra fans wanting to get into Stamford Bridge every week. There's no guarantee for that. I mean, yes, you will have games like the Manchester derby where every City fan is up for it. But for a lot of the games that they're not, and when I say City fans, I, just mean, I don't mean the, the hardcore match-going ones, I mean City fans who sort of make a decision, you know, I might go to the game, I might not, then you're going to struggle. And I think that's just where City are. It's not a criticism of them. I just think they've got to be honest about it. Is this something that will come with time, though, Jonathan? Do you think legacy? Um, I, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, about how, you know, in 20 years, we might see a, a, a new generation of Manchester City fans because of the success they're having now, much like what Jay mentions with Chelsea 10, 15 years ago when they first started winning trophies, when Mourinho first came in. Now we're perhaps seeing more Chelsea fans or we have seen over the last few years. Do you think that's a possibility? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because I think I think one of, the, one of the issues is is that they've got a very loyal fan base. But once, you, once someone decides they're not going to a game, there's not that many people behind them to say, right, well, I'll take that ticket. And the... You know, you you are doing the the community shield game. You know, they go to three Wembley three times a year, well, four yeah. times with the FA Cup semi finals. It's it's very expensive. It's sure. just and it, and and those hard those hardcore of City fans, ten years ago they were well more than twenty years ago, were were going around League Two grounds and uh, League One grounds and you know paying fifteen pounds for a match ticket and that was yeah. it. Yeah. You know, you you. you, you the other thing is, city season ticket prices have gone up year on year on year. I think the the club need to look at it long term. Those fans will come. There are more, you know, more and more over the country. You see city city shirts everywhere. I mean, you go on Twitter now and you get NFL players, NBA players walking out away from their yeah. games wearing city shirts. I mean, that they wouldn't have, <laughs> that would not have happened twenty years ago. So it, it's happening, yeah. and it's just a, a question of time. Drake. Drake's always supporting some sort of Premier League football <laughs> club. Chelsea, Man City, I wonder who it'll be next. Um, Johnny, back to the game then. Manchester City winning the game by four goals to nil. We mentioned the early red card for Fulham kind of killed the momentum of the game and it was always going to be an easy win for, for City. We also mentioned how the league's pretty much done and dusted. We know Liverpool are going to wrap up the league title before we know it. So is the focus now for Pep very much firmly on defending the trophies they've already got, the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup? Sort of. They've got enough um, squad depth. They've got this infamous academy. I think we saw Eric Garcia come on and play today and, and Phil Foden uh, play the full 90 minutes, which was a nice uh, change for him. Um, so they, they've obviously got the, the strength and depth to be able to concentrate mm. on those two cups. With the, them so far behind or, or Liverpool so far ahead in the league, surely they should... I, I know it's easier said than done, but their focus maybe should be on the Champions League. That's the big one that, that they've always wanted. They've not yet had... Um, so maybe rest rest a few players here and there in the, in the Premier League, in the Carabao Cup, um, in the FA Cup, and just put all your focus on the Champions League and and just do everything that you can to win that. Obviously, that means if they go out of that, they haven't got anything to play for. Really, uh, the Carabao Cup will be done and dusted by end of February, um, and the FA Cup, you know, they'll they they it's not 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 as 
big and, and illustrious as it once was and, and in comparison to other cups. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll want to defend them, but I think they really want the Champions League. And, and I think from from an outsider's perspective and, and someone that um, has never managed a team and has to put up with expectations mm. and things like that, they, they should really be pushing really hard for the Champions League at this stage. I think as well for Pep, that's got to be the sort of... It sounds daft to say it, but almost a criticism of Pep, isn't it, that he's not won the Champions League without Messi or what he's not won it in... For ages, yeah. yeah. For how many other years he was at Bayern Munich, they were the dominant force in German football. They didn't get to a Champions League final. He's at City, they've been the dominant force in English football. He hasn't taken him to a Champions League final. I think if we are, again, being really overly harsh on Pep, he's obviously done amazing things yeah, at, tremendous, at yeah. City. It pains me to say, but he has. That's the one criticism you can have. He's he's not really managed to, to achieve what he could have done or maybe perhaps should have done in the Champions League. So I think if he, you know, him and City can lift that trophy this season, they'll be it'll be phenomenal for them. Yeah, definitely. It's almost the, it's the one they haven't got, isn't it, Jonathan? It's the, it's the one trophy that they haven't got. Is there a feeling amongst the fans? Do you think this season that now the league has kind of slipped away and the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup haven't quite got the same feel about them as Johnny mentions that the Champions League is is the one they want? It's the one to go for. But the, the, the big issue is why they've failed for, for the past three seasons since Pep's been there is conceding goals. Mm. And the defence looks weaker than it has at any time in, in Pep's reign there. You know, no, no company. I mean, Laporte's come back. That should tighten things up. But you look at the, the way they went when they went out. They conceded, uh, I think it was five, six against Monaco, five against Liverpool, three, uh, four against Spurs. You know, you, you can't do that in Europe. And... He's going to continue playing the way he plays, which is that this adventurous football, go on mm. the attack. Um, I just think with this defence the way it is at the moment, you can't really see it succeeding. They've just got to tighten that up. And, and you know, John Stones isn't in great form at the moment. He looks short of confidence, John Stones. He does Stones. look very, yeah, very, very short of confidence. Laporte coming back could just could be the difference. Him and Fernandinho. You know, Fernandinho's done, done a good job there. A lot of experience, a lot of wisdom. can read the game. Concern that's not going to be enough there. Is that something for them to address in the summer? Do you think? Oh, definitely, you, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think they regret not doing it last summer when mm. company went in. In that, in that running throughout that running, company was absolutely key. And yeah, they just just too many goals conceded this season. You talk about goals conceded, but they did take their tally to the season for a hundred goals scored in all competitions, which is the seventh consecutive season they've scored a hundred goals uh, in a campaign. The last team to do that. Uh, and they actually did it for nine seasons, I think, was uh, Manchester United from, I think, 2006 to 2013, I think. You mean uh, we've not done it recently? No. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> shocking. That You've start. not done it I since 2013. <laughs> that seems to be the, the year that is kind of the bane of Manchester then, United. So I can't put my finger 2013. on it. 2013. Um, you mentioned Phil Foden, Johnny. Uh, good for him, like you say, to get 90 minutes. Uh, do you think we should really be seeing more of him now? Mm. He's... He's 19. I mean, I know he's still a youngster, but when you see some of the other players in the Premier League getting games at, at almost a more tender age, you start to think, well, if if the league's gone and there's plenty of cup competitions, surely now's the time to give him more games. I think as the season moves on, and especially towards the latter stages of it, especially if they're doing well in the Champions League, then he'll definitely get more game time. Um, I think they also need to think of the future. I think David Silva's already said he'll be leaving at the end of the season and there was a nice interview with both of them too at the end of the match where you know Phil Foden basically said how amazing it is to play with his hero um David Silva looked um very shy and sheepish at the um at the thought of that but um hopefully David Silva will be sharing his experience and knowledge with him you know 
has been in the past will be much more so going forward when he knows it will be leaving and Phil Foden's sort of his natural uh, successor. Um, so hopefully we'll see more of him. You know, there's a there's a there's a gap for him in the England team as well. That there's that sort of creative sort of man that will link the the two the defence to the midfield. The, defence to the attack and, and sort of bring a bit bit of creativity and flair in the midfield and mm. you know we've Deli Ali sort of gone off the boil a little bit in that regard Jesse Lingard um had a real big peak leading up to the world cup but has gone off um tailed off his form's been obviously awful albeit he scored today but um so there is a big gap there for Phil Foden and and you know you would have hoped that 2020 would have been the ideal thing for him but like you say he's not had enough game time so 2022 World Cup. Hopefully, Phil Foden will be cemented in that team for from an England fan's perspective, and he needs game time to do that. And David Silva leaving will obviously give him a gap in the team that he really needs to sort of, you know, grasp with both hands and and really take forward. Yeah, and you talk about David Silva kind of passing on everything he knows to to Foden. Do you think Aguero is doing a similar thing with Gabriel Jesus? Scored two goals again today, won the penalty for Manchester City. How how do you rate him as a striker, Jay? I mean, he's got big shoes to fill when Aguero finally moves on, but his goal record for Manchester City is is actually quite frightening. When you look into the statistics and how many goals he scored, not just in the Premier League, but just in general, and considering he doesn't start every game and he's got a lot to live up to in, in that figure of Sergio Aguero, I think he's doing a pretty good job, to be honest. No, definitely. I mean, I think you look at his age as well. He's 22 now, um, Jesus. He's like that age where sometimes that's around the time a lot of strikers kick on. Um, obviously, Aguero's not playing every single game. He's not playing as often as he used to. Um, it's, there's probably no more difficult job in football than replacing someone like Sergio Aguero has been absolutely yeah, ridiculous it's for, one, of, for, one of their best ever players yeah, for yeah. Manchester City one of the Premier League's best ever and if, if we're being brutally honest so to come into into that team and then be expected to, to pick up that mantle if you will and, and to re- score the, the sort of numbers and get the sort of numbers and goals that, that um, Aguero does is, is always going to be difficult but we know Jesus is talented we knew, we've seen that ever since he arrived at at the Etihad, I think the, the problem's obviously been with consistency, but some of that can come with, with having a run in the team. I don't want to keep making this about United, but I've seen it with Marcus Rashford, that having that run in that team now where Marcus Rashford, before his injury obviously, is essential to United. He knows he's going to start every game, he knows what position he's going to play in, and he's just revelling in it. Get someone like Jesus, who perhaps knows now the manager's relying on him more and more. He's obviously got wonderful players around him. Mm. You know, you mentioned Foden not even getting in the team, which is just... Ridiculous <laughs> outside looking in, <laughs> looking on with envy again. Seems to be a, a trait here. But you've got the likes of obviously Kevin De Bruyne, uh, David Silva still, mm. you know, still doing a, a good job there, even though it may be probably his last season. So they've got the players around him to, to give him the chances, Sterling, of course. So he should revel in it, and he is reveling in it. And I think now is the sort of age and the time where he can kick on and, and start getting the sort of results and sort of numbers that you'd expect for someone from him talent in a team like Manchester City who will always get goals. Pep Guardiola's teams will always get goals, will always create chances. Yeah. You mentioned there the numbers there, yeah. about 100 goals already this season. So for, for a player like that, you'd expect him to be hitting between 20 and 30 goals a season, if we're being honest. Yeah, looking forward to see how he develops. And I'm sure Manchester City fans looking forward to what the rest of the season holds, albeit despite the league title probably slipping away from their grasp. OK, we'll take a quick break now here on Football Social Daily. Afterwards, we'll be talking about the two Uniteds, Manchester and West Ham, respectively. A good weekend in the FA Cup for one, not so good for the other. Stay tuned. Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe, you'll never miss another show again. And no matter how you listen to the podcast, make sure you leave us a review as well. You might even get a shout out on the show. Make sure you be nice because there's definitely more chance of you getting a shout out if you are. (laughs) (laughs) FA Cup weekend, of course. So Manchester United and West Ham on the agenda. Manchester United then, Jay. Oh, goodness me. What a great victory against Tranmere Rovers on a terrible pitch, it has to be said. That can't be helped. Um, the game against Watford that they had in the third round was postponed and had to be rearranged for Thursday. So they beat Watford on Thursday at Prenton Park to set up a game with Manchester United on Sunday at Prenton Park on what was, like I say, a boggy pitch, but it didn't seem to bother Manchester United. They won the game by six goals to nil. What are your thoughts? Well, it's an absolute epic triumph, which <laughs> means that our hand, one of our hands is firmly on the FA Cup now and uh, it's only a matter of time before... Uh, we uh, stormed to the title as well. No, I mean, listen, you put it in perspective, yes, there's no doubt that Tranmere left a lot on the pitch against Watford. They were dead on the feet after about 30 minutes watching a lot of the, the Tranmere players. You thought this is going to be a long day for them, sure. especially when we started getting the goals. Mm. But, um, I mean, they started quite brightly, funnily enough. The first five minutes, I was actually a little bit worried. Phil Jones got an early book in and I thought... Three minutes. Yeah, I thought this may be one of those days where <laughs> it doesn't go according to plan. And like you mentioned, the pitch there was terrible. And if you're not used to it, they're obviously more used to it than we are. It can be a bit of a leveller. But it's it's a positive day. I mean, it's a good result and a good performance against a, a pretty poor team, if I'm being honest. It was good to see the likes of Maguire. The Lowe's never scored, I don't think, for United. Um, Lingard, who's obviously goal-scoring record, has been held against him. And Jones getting on the score sheet, as well as um, Mason Greenwood getting another goal as well. Listen, beating Tramiro was by any scoreline doesn't mean that we've turned a corner or that Ollie's job's safe. But this was a game that could have been a bit of a banana skin because if, had United even drawn today... Good job I haven't got the cliche. I mean, I've just gone through five. Honestly. I've gone through five in a minute. I was clocking up my head thinking every word I'm saying it. Pitches a level up. Pitches a level banana skin. Honestly, it's, it's terrible. But um, there would have been pressure on him. Even if United had a scrape to 1-0, people would have been going, oh, look at this. This is an example Unconvincing, of all he's yeah, out yeah. of his depth. So he needed that. I think the players needed that themselves. And the ones that got on the score sheet, perhaps... It gives them a little bit of a boost and a little bit of a relief where they need it as well. So mm. it's, a, it's a good day at the office, a good result against the poor team. I don't think we need to look any more into it yeah, than that. I've written down here the words papering over the cracks. Is is it still the case? Because I remember a couple of weeks ago against Norwich City, Manchester United beat Norwich. Of course, Norwich cut adrift at the bottom of the Premier League. And there are a few people saying, well, it papers over the cracks, but you can't ever turn your nose up at a win. Is it the same case here, do you feel? Well, I don't even think you can look into it too much to say it's papering over the cracks. I don't think you can go, oh, well, we're okay now, or this is shoulders that, that we're, we're competitive again, because you, you're playing a team that's 21st in League One yeah, sure. that have just played two hours against Premier League opposition. Yeah. So they're knackered. And the Three days before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's all sorts of reasons why you have to go, this doesn't really mean a lot, if we're, if we're being honest. So, yes, it's a great result, a good result, sorry, but I'm not going to say... I don't think anyone is claiming that this proves Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be at Manchester United long term or that the likes of Phil Jones and Diogo Dello or even Jesse Lingard are, are going to have a, an amazing season. It's just a good day at the office and it just gives him a little bit of a a breather so he doesn't have to face more criticism and more chaos and more question marks until the Wednesday night when we go to the Etihad where it can all start again because that's the that's obviously the big game. We're already sort of two goals down, so it's going to be difficult. But if he gets, if United, I shouldn't say he, if United get beat, then more question marks are going to be yeah. asked about Oli because that's where we are at the minute. He's at that 
position where every result or every game he, he's getting asked questions of him. We've mm. seen it with all the previous managers. We get to a certain point towards the end of the reign. I'm not saying this is the end of his, but we've seen it with Van Gaal, sort of, more, sort of um, with Jose, where when things are going badly, every game is analysed. Sure. So it's it's the City one now that's gonna it's gonna matter. And then in, in February we've got some some big games, some tough games back into Europa. Um, we've got Chelsea away as well. So it's a it's a it's a real tough period now for for United. Mm. It's a make or break. It's, again, a cliche. Sorry, it's the make ding, or ding. break time. <laughs> um, so as I said earlier, this is just job done. Good day at the office. Move on. Move on. Yeah. Manchester United against Manchester City on Wednesday, as Jay says. Jonathan, um, obviously Manchester City very much hold the advantage on the front foot in that cup tie. Uh, would they come with renewed confidence, do you think? And Well, you've got to treat it as a new game, even though they're two goals behind with you know goals, as Jay mentions, from players that haven't really found the back of the net in recent times. Is there anything for City to be concerned about, do you feel? Sort of slightly. I mean, I think City was stung by the league game. They were surprised at how well United came out of the traps and... and First half an hour deserved to be ahead, possibly even more. Um, but the one thing I would say that, that 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 first leg at Old Trafford was that Pep was just so on it. He was he didn't leave the technical area. He was instructing his players all the way through the game, just moving them around the the pitch. Mm. And he just seemed to. Ollie was sat in the other dugout and just seemed to have no ideas. He seemed, yeah, there was one idea which worked at the Etihad, which was to, yeah, to play on the attack. He, he thought pace. that Pep was going to fall for the same mistake twice, yeah. basically, didn't he? And uh, he got found out. Exactly. And then Pep's just one of them, the, the best coaches around and, and he's got a lot more options than Mickey Mellon has for Tramir. He's, <laughs> he's, he's going he's gonna to come up with a plan and you would think that it's going to be very difficult. Uh, but you know, United are still in it. They, they really should have been killed off in that first game. Mm. City was just so far better than them in, the, in mm. that first game that it, should, it, it, it could. At one stage, you were thinking, you know, this could be Burton-type scorelines here. They were so over, completely in control of the game and yeah. let them off a little bit. So United aren't out of it, but yeah, it's going to it's going to be a, a, a huge surprise, I would say. Just going just before you go on, to Johnny. Sorry, just going back to that game at Old Trafford. They moved us because they moved where we stand for that game. We were near the technical area, and what you were saying, Ollie was sat there. Pep was constantly on his feet, and it was just frustrating. You know, as a United fan, and when we went two 0 down, City had three or four good chances, and I remember thinking, this could be it. This could be six or seven, and this could be it for Ollie because you get beat seven nil at all. <laughs> City. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. sounds so melodramatic. No, but it's but you can't lose the way they were playing. Like they were no. all over us, and they were getting chance after chance, and we didn't have any answers for it. And we got the goal from Marcus Rashford. And it sort of changed things. Matic came on and we we made a game of it. But you could see that Pep, he must have sensed blood. He must have known that, this, listen, we can end this as a, as a tie tonight. Um, and he was he was non-stop. And it was so deflating as a United fan. And it was embarrassing as well because I got home after that 3-1 loss at home to City feeling relieved. It's an interesting point you make. You know, um, Phelan and Solskjaer and Carrick sat in the dugout, whereas Pep's out in the technical area. Do you think that when managers are a little bit more animated and kind of out there, Johnny, that they buy themselves a bit more grace with the supporters? Like, you look at Jurgen Klopp, he's always out on the touchline. If things went sort of south for him pretty quickly, I think maybe you'd get a few more games than if he just sat there kind of arms folded, slouched in the dugout. Do you think that's a, a thing, just kind of mentally, where you see supporters give managers a bit more of a benefit of the doubt when that happens? I guess it depends how the the team's performing, how the results are going. If you, you're 5-0 up and Pep Guardiola, well, or your manager sat there, arms folded, you think he's confident, we've, they're following his instructions, the team yeah. knows what he's doing. 
um, and he's got them sorted out right. And if someone's on the, t- you're losing three 0 Someone's on the touchline faffing around, looking like Mr. Burns doing the <laughs> baseball instructions. You think he has no idea what he's doing? And the team don't know what he's trying to tell them. So it all depends d- depends on the results at the end of the day, I guess. If you know you're one nil up and he's up and up and down and up and down, and you worry that he doesn't, the team don't know what the instructions are meant to be, and he has to keep getting up to remind them. You know. I've sat, I've sat for Rafa Benitez. Yes, he's animated, knows what he's doing, and you have trust in him. But if I see Steve Bruce getting up and doing that, what does Steve Bruce do on the touchline for Newcastle? Does he uh, complains a lot, shouts at the fourth <laughs> official, starts fights with the opposition manager, tells Paul Dummett he's stood in the wrong place? That seems to be the main thing that he's doing. But I, I have more trust if 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 the res- if the scores were the same, results were the same. I'd think Rafa Benitez is t- giving good tactical instructions, telling them they know what they're doing. If Steve Bruce is mm. up and doing shouting at him, he's like. He has no idea. He's, he's doing it for the cameras a lot of the time, maybe. He he doesn't know what he's doing out there. So I, say, I guess how, it's how you perceive the manager and how the results are going. Keeping a focus on Newcastle United, I can't believe I said to you before the show, it's taken 26 days for talks of a takeover of Newcastle United to surface. It seems almost like clockwork. Every transfer window, a few days in, here we go. The news story breaks. Someone is interested in buying Newcastle United Football Club. This time, there's been talks uh, about takeovers with the Saudi royal family, a, a family interested in possibly buying Manchester United. What's your take on all of this? You must be sick to the back teeth of it as a Newcastle fan. Um, the difference this time is that we've already got a couple of players and usually it's you know it's seen as a delay in tactic that we won't be making any signings because you know we've got to go through due diligence and we don't know whose money will be put towards these players and things like that. Sure. Um, and this time, the local press... Like the Financial Times have released, you know, an article about who the people are and how confident they are, and, and that's different. I know, with the greatest respect to sort of local newspapers who have their ear to the ground in the local area. When it's someone, you know, when it first came from there, I think it was the New York Times were the sure. first people to start reporting it, and then the Financial Times have got involved. These are high-end sort of publications. It's got a bit more to it, yeah. yeah. That, that, that sort of put a butt mill meat on the bones and things like that. So. There's a bit more confidence that this is something that's actually more realistic. The worry is that, you know, Mike Ashley is a is a dodgy businessman. You know, he gives out zero hours contracts and buys up struggling businesses to try and turn around their fortunes and things like that. The Saudi royal family are, are a different level of dodgy seems a bit of a... Well, but, there's but question like, marks always about human rights and things yeah, like and that. Yeah, I guess you don't earn the level of money that you need to run a football club. You have to step on a few people to get that level of money sure. but there's different ways of stepping on those those people at the end of the day and Mike Ashley he don't pump the, pump enough money in you know he's negative he puts the team up for you know he gives himself free advertising around the ground etc etc <laughs> Saudi royal family is a bit different and there's human rights and ethics and things involved but I think as soon as you see Ashley's going out and someone with the level of money or your money etc that you've seen at Manchester City and you've seen at, at Chelsea in the past albeit from you know a different area of the world and things and you see the success that that's brought it sort of clouds your vision of where this money's coming from sure. a lot of the time um, and so I think a lot of Newcastle fans are, are excited because it's Ashley out excited because there's a chance that we can really push on because it's a good club for someone to, to run and, and there's a lot of uh, possibilities there Um but I always say whenever Mike Ashley's, it's sort of the better the devil you know kind of thing. You know what Ashley's like. You know how he runs mm. the club and you know where his money comes from. And um, he's got to be transparent because, you know, his businesses are based in, in here and stuff. And we can sure. go on company's house and see what sort of... What's going in and going out. On. Yeah. 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 Um, whereas 
you know, with whoever's involved in this one, there's a bit of a few question marks about uh, who they are, why they're interested, what's going to happen. And and again, Amanda, Sta- uh, Amanda Stavely is involved again, and she sort of unsuccessfully was part of a previous consortium where mm-hmm. no one really knew where that money was coming from and how much money there really was in reserve and things like that. So um, I'd love it if, you know, we, we were successful, uh, but there'll um, always be question marks over where that money's coming from and, and the people behind the, the business if it was to happen. So we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, it's a whole different ball game to, to Mike Ashley, the Saudi royal family and people mm-hmm. involved like that. I remember Mike Ashley, I think, once saying a few years ago that you know if there was going to be a takeover, it was going to be sort of behind the scenes and done and dusted before anyone knew anything about it. it was kind of That was kind of a, quite an interesting quote that he made. So... For him to say that, I mean, and, and for this to be happening, money to be spent by Newcastle in the window, which has almost been a rarity, really, in recent transfer windows, does that does that show a little bit more than what you're used to seeing? Yeah, maybe he knows they're, they're selling up and he's doing one last hurrah and, and trying to get people. The sort of names we've been linked with as well, and uh, we were linked with uh, Paco Alcas uh, uh, today as well, and, and he is obviously not getting as much time at Dortmund now because no. of um, Haaland coming in, but um, he's still a natural goal scorer. He would... Uh, I was going to say obviously, but arguably score more goals than uh, Jolinton's managed so far this season. Um, and then there's a lot of other interest. I think Valencia were linked with him. I think any sort of Spanish striker that comes up, West Ham are going to be linked with him as well. Um, any striker at all that comes up, West Ham tend to get linked. Um, so yeah, you're hopeful. I think Jared Bowen as well has been constantly linked, £20 million. Uh, whole City. Good yeah. Mm, good um, so whether we can get these people in, and they're sort of, especially Bowen seems like a Bruce type player um and uh he worked with him a little bit when he was with Hull um so I think maybe he is loosening up on the players that he brings uh, Ashley's not the one that's trying to bring these players and he's given a little bit to the manager now and maybe that is a signal that Ashley's on his way out he's sort mm. of you know letting the manager make more decisions than than we saw with Benitez and we saw with uh sort of Carver and McLaren and people that came before Interesting what Johnny says there, Jay, about you know possible ownership, Saudi Arabian ownership of Newcastle United, links with Manchester United. Um, what's the kind of you, you obviously very heavily involved with full time Devils, the Manchester United fan channel, you know ears to the ground with all the supporters. What is the kind of general vibe? I mean, there's been a lot of hostility towards the owners at Manchester United yeah. currently. Would that be you know an an accepted switch for the glazers to perhaps make way and then for this new saudi royal family to come in i mean is it is one worse than the other is it about comparing the ownership is it simply about bringing success back to the club on the field there are so many different caveats to this there are you're right and there's no right or wrong answer from a united point of view i can only speak for myself i mean you don't they're not mutually exclusive you can think the the glazers are terrible owners and not want the Saudi royal family or a, a family or a, yeah. a government. It doesn't or have to be one or the other. Yeah, yeah, who have questionable human rights records, to say the least, to come over and maybe use your club to distract from what's going on in their own country or what they're doing in terms of human rights. Personally, I mean, I've made my feelings clear about the Glazers and Edward, for that matter, I wish they'd just leave our club alone, go away and sell up and move on. But I'm no fan of seeing Manchester United used as a as a distraction, as I said, for as a sports washing, whatever the, the the term that they use is. So, I think that the trouble you've got now is a lot of fans who have that similar opinion, if you call it trouble, are that fed up with the Glazers. We take anyone, they take anyone, and I can sort of understand it because people may look at United from the outside, and you, you know we were talking earlier about Shrewsbury fans running on the pitch when they've drawn with Liverpool, and you think United fans have had it so easy. What they're whinging about the Glazers for? They spent hundred mil, hundred and thirty million in the transfer market this summer, and Harry Maguire cost eighteen million, and what are you moaning about? But you've got to remember that 
if you look at the club and the way it was when sort of before the Glazers took over, we're one of the biggest clubs in the world. We make a lot of money. We make more money than any club. Financially, we were sound. And then they've come in, plunged us into debt. They've taken a billion out of the club, whilst City have had these owners that have come in and put a billion in. You see the way Liverpool are being run, our rivals. They're being run in a way that's got a strategy, that's got a plan, and that's bringing that fruition. We've seen the fruits of that labour, sorry, on the, on the football pitch. We've got none of those things. It's just chaos. And all the, the sort of the, the running theme for all this is these owners are constantly taking their dividends out. The, the stadium's falling apart. Old Trafford needs repair. We don't know whether that's going to happen. So it's very frustrating. And when you've seen your club over the last 25 years winning titles and getting Champions League finals, being competitive and being stable, suddenly plunged into lots of debt, have complete and utter chaos on the pitch, poor performances, a merry-go-round of managers, you're not going to be happy about that. And you're going to look at the owners. So that's why you have this sort of anger towards the owners. And that's why, personally, even though I, I can't stand the Glazers and I'm, I'm, you know, for the sake of not swearing, I'll tone down what I say about them. I'm not. I'm not up for the Saudi or, or a, a family like that coming in and using mm. Manchester United as a sort of uh, as a a mask to the the human rights abuses that they're doing. Yeah. Well, we await with intent to see what happens in that situation. Very interesting indeed, all across the board, both at Manchester United and at Newcastle United. And now to another United with ownership issues, or at least that's what the fans are saying. West Ham United. What is going on down there at the London Stadium? They lost one nil to West Bromwich Albion. Poor again in a relegation battle, absolutely no doubt about it. There's got to be concerns for those West Ham fans, Jonathan, because I mean, they were promised when they left Upton Park that they were going to have this dream of European football, they were going to have exciting players that were going to play, you know, this in quote marks the West Ham way and all the rest of it. But it's been a bit of a disaster, really, yeah. this season, particularly. I'm not sure what the West Ham way is because I've never seen it in my lifetime. I, I, me either. <laughs> I've always say this I say, what is the West Ham way? Does anyone actually know what it is? <laughs> But I, you do have to worry for the for the future of the club because you think if they were to get relegated, and it's a real possibility this season, where they what the long term future is, where they go. I've been to the the London Stadium a couple of times. It's 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 an awful stadium, really terrible place to watch a match. Um, it's just there's just nothing there. It's just a shopping centre next to it. It's 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 got no sort of a feel of a football ground that I've grown up going to watch going to away grounds and things like that it's not a place to get excited about mm. I think actually to be fair to the club they they have spent some money they've bought some decent players like any sort of club in the Premier League who get to that mid-table status that the best players decide that they're, they're too good they want to go somewhere else I think we've seen that with Payet and Arnautovic yeah, I mean he ended up going to China in the end but he had offers that he wanted to accept um, and you just look at the squad and think you know it's 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 concerning where that where they're going, um, you know. I saw Zabaleta playing in, against um, at the weekend, and just thought, you know, he's he's given so much throughout his career, and he's it's coming to the end, and he was really struggling, and yeah. uh, you know, that's that's not that's not a. a, a a future for West Ham, that. Even for West Brom's goal, which was a great finish, we have to say. Brilliant finish. Zabaleta was five yards off his man. Yeah, and he kind of stood there, waited for the shot. And it's just go and close him down, get to the man, make it difficult for him. If it deflects in, then fair enough, you know. Yeah. But like you say, it feels like they've spent money, but a little bit here, a little bit there in sort of weird places. They'll go and buy, you know, someone like, I don't know, for instance, Seb Haller for £45 million. And everyone gets excited about you know him coming in, but then they also go and spend 
money on a player that no one's really ever heard of, like a jetty from, I don't know, I think it was the Belgian league or the Swiss league or something. And he comes in and, you know, doesn't hit the ground running for Nels, hasn't hit the ground running for West Ham. It feels like they're lacking a strategy. And a lot of the fans are pointing the finger at Sullivan, Golden, Brady, the sort of the, the three stooges, as the West Ham fans call them, the owners there. Um, is that kind of, you know, the, the downfall of West Ham United is that lack of a plan. Jay mentioned a plan at Liverpool and at City. Is that kind of something you, you adamantly need now? I, th- I think they did have a plan, to be fair to them. I think they had a, they thought that the stadium would help them rebuild yeah. uh, and really move forward. And they invested in the team. I th- but I don't think they realised quite how bad that stadium was going to be, quite how disappointed the, the, the fans were going to be about it, how much they miss Upton Park. Mm. Um, and you know, they've got this long-term lease. I, I, I don't know wh- how, you, how you come back from this. How you get the fans to to buy into this stadium? Sure, uh, only by getting a really good side, and uh, you know, they're, they're a long way away from that mm-hmm. uh, in terms of appointing managers. I don't, you know, David Moyes is is become one of those managers now where he's he just turns up at a club for eighteen months, does a decent job, things go south, and he, and he's gone. Yeah, I I just don't know what how you what the strategy could be from this point from this point on now. How you turn that round? They've got good players that have come through, like Declan Rice. Um, I don't know how how more are in the academy that they can build on that. Which used to be but, so fruitful for them, didn't it? You yeah. think back to the, the sort of 2000s around the turn of the century, you know, Defoe, Carrick, um, Lampard came through the academy. So many top players came through the West Ham Academy. Um, it doesn't seem, I mean, just really, we've had Rice recently in recent years. It's about it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's... I don't want to be overly harsh here on West Ham, but again, you know, you say this academy of football and this reputation, and then you've named three players from the early noise, literally 2001, 2002 season, yeah. I think was their breakthrough season. And since then, I mean, how many players have come through that have, from the West Ham academy that you can say are, are sort of stars? Not many. Um, Declan Rice is one, certainly, that's being mentioned now. I think he's a good player. I think he's overrated a little bit. In the sense that I've heard him being suggested he's been linked with United with like a £90 million price tag. I don't know how accurate that's, those sort of suggestions are, but sure. I don't think he's personally worth anywhere near that. Um, and you have this this issue with the owners. I think the problem with the owners, uh, you, you mentioned the Three Stooges. I know Karen Brady's not an owner, but she's part of that with Sullivan and Gold and, and Brady. They are very vocal. They're very prominent. The, the, when, when things were going quite well and they were getting the new stadium, they're quite happy to go in front of the cameras and say, you know, we're local, East End boys done good. This is great for us. So when things do go wrong and you put yourself out there, you're going to get a lot of flack. Some of that flack, similar to United, has taken a turn for the nasty. I know they've had issues when they've gone to games and things like that, so I'm not condoning that. But Mm. I can sort of sympathise a little bit with West Ham fans when they see that frustration. Because I don't think West Ham, if you're being a realistic West Ham, you don't think you expect to be challenging for the Champions League places, but you'd expect your club to be run better than it is. And as you mentioned there, they seem to just throw money around. David Moyes, who's a manager that did a, a, a decent job at West Ham last time he was there, but I don't think West Ham fans were sort of dying for him to come back. He was no. like, oh, we must get David Moyes back in many ways. That sort of smacked of, of having a, a poor strategy and a poor plan. And then when you lose to one of your old managers, Slavin Bilic, comes back with West Brom yes. and beats you. It's like, it, you know, people were saying about Oli how much pressure he was under when Mourinho came back with Spurs, had Spurs won. And, it, and it, it, I know Moyes isn't going to be under pressure because he's just taken over, but it doesn't bode well, it doesn't look good for your club when you're seeing those sorts of results against previous managers and you're going into this sort of this 
merry-go-round yeah. of, of nonsense almost that nothing ever seems to have a, a long-term strategy yeah. and this was a club West Ham who was sort of renowned for having long-term managers I think up until sort of late 90s they'd had something like seven managers in the history or something they had like you know the likes of um, Ron Greenwood and um, is it Ron Greenwood and, and Lyle, Lyle, was it? Was there, Lyle yeah. was there for like 20 odd years they sure. had this history of sort of I know that in the modern era that doesn't happen anymore but now they've gone the complete opposite way where you have a manager for sort of 12 months and then he moves on you buy a couple of signings in the summer who mm. one who looks decent some that no one's ever heard of and then you're going round it and it's going to be I think it's going to be very difficult for West Ham yeah. especially because they're not out of the woods if they get relegated then they're in all sorts of trouble in that stadium yeah. in, in the championship definitely I, I, I'd worry for the, the, the long term Joe Cole said something very interesting on TV actually he said you know the West Ham fans were obviously sad to leave Upton Park but if they saw a brighter future somewhere else they were happy to buy into that and obviously this future that they've got right now isn't very bright at all. They're out of the FA Cup, Johnny. Are they going to get relegated from the Premier League? I mean, it's, it's such a, a bad question to ask anyone because, I mean, three weeks ago we were saying Watford were doomed and then a couple of weeks ago people were saying Southampton are doomed and they've pulled themselves out of it. The bottom of the Premier League is so close. But speaking to West Ham fans, the ones that I know, they say, I don't know where our next points are going to come from. In the next few games they've got the likes of of Liverpool and, and Manchester City as well. They've got to play as well. So, you know, they're really concerned about their Premier League future. There's a few teams down there that I think Norwich are, aren't, aren't much longer for this world. <laughs> <laughs> Just gone forever. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the, in the politest sense. Um, Villa, Villa have got stuck down there as well. Bournemouth have got stuck down there. Mm. West Ham have as well. But I think it's so tight down there that you... You can't you can't be surprised if anyone that's in the bottom half at the moment could end up getting relegated. Um, so with with West Ham, the worry is if they go down, how are they going to get rid of a lot of these players that they've signed on like big money, big sure. wages, um, and things like that. And I think we 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 touched on it that they just don't have a strategy. And I think that goes for for managers, that goes for player recruitment. They have this you know big name, big reputation overseas manager that's done well uh, elsewhere, um, or is a local favourite you've had Zola, Bilic, you know Pellegrini come in and then you've had them interchange with Allardyce, Moyes, the old guard and it's like they've not got a long term they either want a big name or they want yeah. someone that's part of the old merry-go-round and you know you've seen the likes of like Southampton have taken a bit of a risk every so often on, on a Hassan Hurtle he's mm. had a few issues you know there was the 9-0 in this season but he's pulled them out and he's got a long-term strategy and you've seen it with like Pochettino at, at Southampton um, and people like that. And then you look at Leicester's recruitment, you know, recruitment policy. Yeah, they've they've picked out the right players for the positions that they need. They've negotiated good deals for them. They, I think they've sold that club on the fact that if you do well here, you can move on elsewhere that's somewhere bigger. And they, I think they probably did that with Maguire. They've probably done it with Soyuncu as well. You know, that's probably how they got Nacho from Manchester City because he was in, in and out of the yeah. team quite a bit when he was like their Gabriel Jesus almost mm. at that time he was there. And they've sold that club to him somehow. Um and these are teams, you know, Southampton, uh, Leicester, are teams that are at the level or arguably not quite at the level that you would expect West Ham to be at. Agreed. They don't have quite the same history. They don't have quite sure. the same longevity in the Premier League. So where West Ham are going wrong, they need to look at where these other clubs are going right and they just don't seem to be doing that. I think they just splash for 30, 40 million pounds on a player and they don't care who because mm. a lot of fans just want, they don't care. They just want money to be spent. It's like the transfer windows yeah. are... I'm, I'm, 
like football cliches have done a, a podcast <laughs> on the athletic so i think i'm just stealing it, one of his lines here but they don't care who they buy they see the transfer window as a competition of who spends the most money and that's sky sports news is fault with the yellow ticker and ties and everything sure. in one sense but i think west ham are a big sort of embodiment of that that they don't care who they sign they just want a 40 million pound player they yeah. just want a 30 million pound player and you've seen it with four nails you've seen it with felipe anderson who was yeah. very good for lazio was being linked with manchester city and people like that mm. manchester united but West Ham, he just doesn't hit the ground running. And seeing it with Haller and people like that, yeah. he was a, had a decent time at Frankfurt. Yeah. But they're just throwing money at the wrong people, and they need to rein that back in and, and pick a good strategy and go with it. Because they could be, mm. they could be, you know, a, a, a team doing Leicester sixth, seventh, Wolves style. Sure. Um, but they've just not done it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say about you know spending money, and I've said this on the podcast a few times. So apologies to any regular listeners out there, but I think forty million is the new ten million of yesteryear, just because the way the market is. You're going to get an all right player for forty million. Sure if you want, yeah. If you want a good player, you're going to have to really fork out a lot more than that. That's just kind of my opinion. And interesting, you say about Pellegrini and and Allardyce before and Moyes, and they kind of flip flop between the or do we go traditional British manager that knows the league, or do we go for something a bit left field and bring in a Pellegrini? I just think like like you say, I thought Pellegrini was a lazy appointment in the first place. I just thought, oh, he's won the Premier League, we'll get him in. That's kind of how I how I saw things. But let's have a look at their fixtures just quickly before we move on from West Ham they've got Liverpool on Wednesday then they've got Brighton which could be a huge game down at the bottom of the table then it's away to Manchester City away to Liverpool again then they've got Southampton Arsenal Wolves Tottenham Chelsea then uh, we're into April Um, that's a a horrendous run of fixtures it is dire and I just don't know with 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 Moyes I mean I know I'm a United fan so I'm never gonna have the fondest opinion of him you think, oh, he's a safe appointment, but sometimes the, the so-called safe appointments aren't that safe anymore. We've seen it, you know, Johnny was mentioning earlier, it's the same old faces, the Pardews, the Mark Hughes, sure. the Allardyces, the the, um, the the David Moises, of course. And more often than not, they do succeed, but not always. It's no guarantee. Yeah. And there's no guarantee there with Moyes that he can turn this around. Um, and you look at the plays he's got, you've mentioned them, the, the big players that aren't really performing. They're heavily reliant on some of their older players as well. Some of whom, like Zabaleta, just add up to it. Matt Noble, I know, I think he's one that, that sort of is West Ham through and through and trying mm. to galvanise the team. But is he at that level that's going to be the talisman they need almost? I don't think he is. So looking at those fixtures you mentioned, I think they're in all sorts of trouble. And unlike other clubs where you can say, OK, they go down, it's not as devastating for them. I think for West Ham it would be particularly devastating because of this the move they've got in the stadium and the way that they've got these players on big mm. contracts. To me, mm. it's... it's the deals that they've got these players on and some of the, the, the players they've signed, it almost feels a little bit like QPR a few years ago where they just threw a load of money at a load of players mm. and went down and really struggled because sure. you had all these players on, on silly money that you couldn't get rid of. Um, <laughs> Christopher to... Samba on 120. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just bonkers. Wasn't it? I don't think we're at quite at that level, but it, it's similar. And going back to the managerial thing that, that Johnny again was mentioning, it reminds me a little bit of Everton. You keep going from these one extreme to the other. There's no sort of strategy or there's no progression. You go from a continental manager to old school English. You go from an established international manager to a British manager. Sure. It's, there's, it's, it's, you, you know, and for the players, it must be very confusing when one minute you've got, you know, a Zola or an Avram Grant and then you've got an Allardyce. It's, you know, it's such contrasting styles and such a different approach that you're going to struggle unless you have a little bit of a sort of cohesion there and there isn't that mm. there isn't someone overseeing all this who's sort of like you know looking after it all and, and, and having that sort of authority over it it's just the manager coming in changing things around and, and hoping he gets it right so 
they're, they're in the thick of it and they've just got to hope that there's there's three worse teams than them. You're right, I agree with what's been said about Norwich. I think, unfortunately for them, they're going to go down. But the, the other two places... Are up, gra- up for grabs. Oh, not that oh, they're up for grabs because oh, they're relegation places, yeah, but, but you know no, what I mean. They are right up to... I mean, Johnny will know better than I do. Newcastle, I think, probably, you'd argue, we're out of it. But anyone below that, I think... It could be anything. It could be anyone. Cro- crossing my fingers. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I know you probably touch, want to say that. Like, touching but, wood, crossing my yeah, fingers, getting but, a rabbit's foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of rabbit's feet but. at St. James's, I think, after this season. Anyway, been a great podcast today. Thanks very much, Jay. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for uh, for joining us on today's podcast. Can I just point out, it's like oh. a Pokemon evolution from Jay to Johnny to Jonathan. I know, yeah. I know it is. It's, it's increasing, yeah. We need a Jono from the future to come to come back to do the podcast. Here's a rundown of some of the scores for our Premier League teams. Brentford, nil, Leicester City, one, Leicester through to the next round of the cup. A good win for Norwich City. They're through to the fifth round also. They beat Burnley 2-1 at Turf Moor. Sheffield United are through. They travel to the Den. They beat Millwall by two goals to nil. Uh, Southampton and Tottenham drew out a 1-1 draw. West Ham, as we just mentioned, lost 1-0 to Championship uh, promotion chasers West Bromwich Albion. Hull City 1, Chelsea 2. Frank Lampard said he felt like a broken record at the end of that game, but Chelsea's scraping through to the next round. Manchester City 4, Fulham 0. Tranmere 0, Manchester United 6. And Shrewsbury 2, Liverpool 2 on Monday night. The game is AFC Bournemouth against Arsenal. And it's also the night where the FA Cup fifth round draw takes place. So, of course, we'll be bringing you all of that on Tuesday's podcast. But that's all for now. Hit subscribe. Make sure you... uh, Leave us a review as well if you can. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Social and we'll chat to you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.